I'm Lucy and I'm Pinky and this is episode two of Thank Folk for Feminism, your place for uplifting important conversations about equality and celebrating women in folk music. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode and for all of the noise around episode one. We're so so glad that you enjoyed listening to Peggy as much as we enjoyed speaking with her. Although not everybody was quite so positive this is where I get to say F the patriarchy, isn't it, Lucy? <laughs> Probably. No, we had a really amazing response, but there were a few people who were a bit perturbed about the idea of folk and feminism uniting as one. But we'll speak about that later on the show. Yeah. So without further ado, in this episode, we've been super ambitious. There are multiple conversations for you to get stuck into. Before we get there, though, how's your week been, Luce? Uh, well I think you've hit the nail on the head there multiple conversations has meant uh, multiple evenings editing we've gone full-blown women's hour for this one which is exciting but I'm learning loads of new skills as we go (laughs) and on that note I think it's super important that we flag that like all good feminist podcasts um, we've been backed up behind the scenes by Lucy's husband, Rob, of Betty Beetroot Productions, who's done just an outstanding job of producing the show, dealing with multiple outtakes and being an all round top human. So shout out to the feminist ally. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, anyway, without further faffering, and yes, that is a word. Uh, on today's episode, we're delighted to be continuing our theme of music as activism. And I rewrite a traditional folk ballad with singer-songwriter Ellie Rees. And we explore what happened with the English Folk Dance and Song Society when they promoted our podcast on their Facebook page. But first up, I'm delighted to introduce Katie Rose Bennett, singer, music therapist, activist. October 2020 saw Katie release her sixth studio album, Where Does It Hurt? An Introduction to Katie Rose Bennett, which showcases her extensive back catalogue. Katie is also the founder of In Her Shoes CIC, an organisation in Birmingham which seeks to empower women and girls through song. Morning Katie, thank you for joining us today. Morning everybody, lovely to see you. So Katie, you've had a, um, a really varied career starting with being a finalist in the BBC Young Folk Awards um, and winding up as an activist. Talk us through that journey for you. Sure. So back in 2002, I was a finalist in the BBC Young Folk Award and I thought, oh, right, this is the beginning of my stellar career in, in, in the folk arts and I'll be, uh, I'll be performing at the Royal Albert Hall in a few years and that's, that's me sorted for, for life. And, um, and obviously... As you know, that's not really how it happens. And I think it took me a while to learn that just because you think that someone should decide that you're successful or something or or achieve success in a thing doesn't mean it's going to happen. And actually, you have to put quite a lot of work in and you have to have a real self-confidence and do a lot of hard slog. And I think I had this kind of slightly Disney princess is the wrong word, but it's like you believe and it will be feeling about you know I, I do I do this I do this thing I'm I'm I know I'm good surely other people are gonna think that I'm good enough and 
like they're, they're, other people are going to put me at a point of being successful but actually obviously that doesn't always happen and sometimes it does and that's great but actually the the careers that last long are those that just people are just chipping away and keeping working at it anyway so I think I had a bit of disillusionment with um with the process because I had kind of got it wrong if you like and um also I was I did a music degree at Birmingham University and during my degree I had uh some really severe mental health difficulties that made talking to people difficult let alone performing and so I I kind of I carried I carried on performing and I and I carried on writing songs quite a lot of them were quite miserable for quite a few years and that's and some some of my best work is from my misery I think but uh, <laughs> as is always the way like so I kind of I kind of did a degree and then thought okay so maybe maybe this performing lark isn't the thing for me and I kind of moved more into community music running workshops with kids and adults and I did a lot of work with adults with acquired brain injury and veered towards music therapy and trained as a music therapist about 10 years ago actually no forgotten time 12 years ago and that was wonderful and I practiced music therapy for nearly 10 years and then I realized that it just wasn't quite the thing that I should be doing and there was something there was something missing and I realized I really missed performing and I don't know if you know much about music therapy but it's very much it, it, it it's it's a very private affair between a client and a therapist and it's and it's incredible work and I totally loved it but I realized that actually I wasn't getting total satisfaction from it as as a career and I kind of I was unbalanced one way if you like so I thought actually I need to get back to performing and writing and getting my work out there publicly and so yeah so that was about three years ago four years ago I suddenly realized yes I need to be doing more that's probably where we get to does that make sense and then and activism I don't know how do we get down to activism I was going to say it just sounds like from you speaking that the the that the struggle and the drive to share music has just been interwoven in the whole journey for you and I imagine that's where the wellspring of wanting to write things that are reflective of your experiences and the people around you and society mm. around you it's it you know does it come from that kind of place yeah, so that's, I think that wellspring idea is wonderful because one that I realized a few years ago, I was chatting to a friend who's really good at like focusing my mind. She's really good at going saying, what is the thing that drives you? You know, she, she's very, very like astute like that. And that I used, I run choirs, I run community choirs. That's a big part of my life. Well, when it's possible, <laughs> um, <laughs> just have a little mini cry at the oh. lack of community singing. Sad times. It's really, but it will get back. We will get back to it when it's safe to do so. And so, community singing and then songwriting over here. And obviously, this is an audio podcast. You can't see what my hands are doing, but they were very much seen as these two separate things, these split things. So, community singing, songwriting. And they were like, they exist in totally different realms. And then I realized that, as you say, they, they all come from the same well and actually they're really interconnected. And in the last year, I think I've just really kind of synthesized the two. So I do a lot of songwriting for choirs now 
that I used to not really do because I kind of saw them as these separate things and actually it's kind of integrating them and making them part of what I do so that's been really good and so let's talk about obviously your solo career now is is burgeoning and beginning to take off again um now you're committing to that but let's talk about one of your projects where you have synthesized these two um places that you've been coming from and I wanted to talk Mm. about your community interest company in her Mm. shoes because it sounds like you've been doing some incredible work with women and girls in your community yeah it's it's totally brilliant um i mean it's a it's a really wonderful project to be involved in so in 2018 the dcms department for culture media and sport they were giving out very small pots of funding to celebrate 100 years of women's suffrage so there's four of us who are the creators of in her shoes or the directors of it and we're all friends from various things from community choirs or book groups or women's institute knitting clubs and a couple of the women in the group were re- were reading a Sandy Toxford book about women and there was a there was a couple of pages on it about Ethel Smythe who was the composer of the march of the women in 2014 i think she wrote it 2013 14 she was arrested for being a suffragette suffragette and i think attempting to do something like throwing stones through a politician's window or something along those lines, which I would not advocate, obviously. And she was arrested and put in Holloway prison. And there's this kind of, this image of in the book is of her conducting about a hundred women in the quad of the prison, singing her March of the Women, conducting it with a toothbrush. There's this famous image of her wow. conducting this this song. It's beautiful. And Lou from In Her Shoes, she said, oh, wouldn't it be great if we did something with this song and we could march down the street conducting it with a toothbrush? <laughs> so we, we, set about, we set about running some, running some workshops with women from Birmingham, from different walks of life in Birmingham. So we worked with some young girls, kind of teenagers. We worked with a group of women who were asylum seekers about their experiences of being a woman and what they would want to change now, what is not working for them now. And as you can imagine for women who are refugees or asylum seekers, there are plenty that is not okay. Like having a safe home, having having food and electricity, things like this, which we take for granted, you know? And so we, we, we wrote lots of songs with these different groups of women. And then we came together one day in 2018 and we, some people in suffragette garb, marched through the streets of Moseley in Birmingham with my, me and my guitar and a giant toothbrush, which someone had commissioned to be made. <laughs> and we sang this, we sang March of the Women uh, with an extra verse about tampon tax and pockets and dresses and things like that. Uh, yes. Absolutely. pockets in dresses important feminist issue <laughs> i don't wear dresses but i didn't realize it's one that all feminists agree on there's no tension <laughs> about whether or not we should have pockets in dresses we all agree yeah i mean, I don't wear dresses but i i now understand that people need pockets in dresses well or decent jean pockets right but yes yeah, so and so that was so we so we did this march and four of us, so it's Lou, Kath, Anne and me, we we got together after this march, which was just a, it was a few, it was kind of a month or two 
little project and we're like oh that was brilliant well that was it was so great it was something it was like being part of something bigger than an individual it was like a community the thing of being in a communal experience was just incredible and really joyful and interconnected with other women and I thought I've never done something with like a hundred other women just women and there's something very powerful about that dynamic and we thought let's we've got to do more because actually there's lots that was said that we we can still work on so we then set about setting ourselves up as a community interest company and we had a year of doing some really fabulous projects within her shoes at the moment we're working we're doing a, a really lovely project which was supposed to be in person with the original funding but obviously given the pandemic we've had to do it all online and it's um with vulner vulnerable syrian families in birmingham and we write we we it's about once every month and we meet and we write songs and we sing songs and we're teaching um some english nursery rhymes for the mums to sing with their kids that they might that they might have learnt in nursery and things so that there's kind of a bit of a continuity for them and we we've we've we wrote a song about lockdown and the experience of lockdown and many of them shared the kind of a lot of them shared how they're growing things and the kind of things they're growing yes. and someone's growing an apricot tree in Birmingham which we think is possibly the only apricot tree in Birmingham <laughs> because I don't think anyone's ever tried to grow an apricot tree and it was just, it's just this beautiful like really precise specific words that people bring and and as soon as you change anything then that takes it away from them but if you wait if you change the words then that disenfranchises the person who's given you that story in a way and obviously it's a real balancing act because sometimes you do need to just wiggle it change it a little bit to make so that it can flow as a song but there's a real it's a real balancing act and and I find, I find such joy out of doing that because it's because because you see the joy in other people when you they hear their their words sung back and it's validating and it it validates their experience and and it's it's sharing and it's empathizing with them and enabling their stories to be heard when a lot of a lot of women's voices are not heard because they don't have the platform and actually some of the women within her shoes we work with maybe wouldn't be comfortable singing out in public um, for cultural or religious reasons. So actually, by allowing us to sing some of those words, we're enabling their voice to be heard, even if they can't sing it directly, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Such a special kind of activism. Let's, let's move to this kind of last question that we wanted to round your interview off on. But it, I think it might be the hardest question we've asked you all morning. Do you have a favourite activist folk song, something that speaks to you or you keep coming back to over the years? Yes. Well, I think I was going to say two. So I was, it's not really a folk song, but the March of the Women had was a was a, was such a driving force for the formation of in her shoes and the work we do so that's been a really really powerful song and so, sometimes we just sing it because it's it's fun and empowering and there's still much change to be made um but actually i was thinking last night about my favorite protesty folk song 
And you know the last person I heard singing it, Lucy Ward? Oh, no. <laughs> at the Kitchen Garden Cafe. Shout oh, out to the Kitchen Garden Cafe yeah, in Birmingham. Great venue. Was it about four years ago? I'm not sure, maybe three years ago? Yeah, maybe three and years ago. It was, and, uh, and the band played Waltzing Matilda by Eric Bogle, oh. which I had, I think I had a June Table version on a That's tape. That's where I learnt it, yeah beautiful beautiful powerful song that's such a wonderful choice and a song so many people wouldn't consider to be a protest song because they just hear the melody and the sadness and and actually you're right it's the perfect example of a protest song and my dad had it on a tape um in the car and we'd all and we'd we'd listen to it and it just and i just remember not really understanding it and then i learned about gallipoli at school and then i understood it and actually, I was listening to it last night, and there's not a there's not a, a extraneous word. Everything is really key in the telling of the story and the disillusionment with the awfulness of 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 this this the band the kind of mocking of the band playing Waltzing Matilda as they're returning from war and all this and and I think it's I think as you I think actually that kind of maybe that relates to what you're saying about it's not a loud shouty protest song it's it's very gentle but it for me I'm very anti-war I'm a pacifist and it in a way that kind of song communicates and gets right under your armour straight to the heart doesn't it well exactly and I think not least because it stands in juxtaposition with so many songs from our tradition that glorify war or you know um and yet you you know what? You're the first person that we've asked this uh, question to, a favourite song question on this, our first month of Thank Vote for Feminism. And you just couldn't have picked a more beautiful song. So thank you so much for your time and for talking to us, Katie. It's been wonderful to chat. We wish you luck with um, every, all the work going on with your solo career and we'll share ways for people to check you out. So take care out there. Thank you, Pinky. Thank you, Lucy. Find out more about Katie by checking out katierosebennett.com. So as we said in our introduction, we have been absolutely overwhelmed by the love and the feedback that you've shared on our first podcast. Both of us are doing this for the love of it around our lives and our jobs and our other interests and passions. So it was just wonderful to have feedback that you thought it was good and it was a conversation worth having. Although the feedback was overwhelmingly positive there was an interesting little moment that we thought it'd be important to raise and discuss with you all here we have a number of affiliates associations that support our work because we know you can only be an agent of change if you gather a team around you and we're really chuffed that the English Folk Dance and Song Society are one of those affiliates and they shared a little thing that said thank folk for feminism is launching hooray 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 go and see what's happening and then the comments began to appear. And I have to admit, Pinky, I, I was quite surprised by what we saw. <laughs> I absolutely love that you were surprised. I mean, I think that says everything about the two different angles that we come at the podcast from. I feel like in my world, it's quite common that uh, my feminism will come under question and that people will see it 
as maybe something more misintended than it than it's meant to be but I guess you know the key thing for me was what what happened and what we saw on that social media page was in essence you know a ton of people being really excited and a few people who felt like it was a politicized agenda that feminism had no place in folk music that it was left-wing that it was woke um and that it was problematic for um eftus to be supporting something publicly that had an undertone to it um and actually for me all that did was confirm that if ever there was a need for this podcast if ever there was a need to prove my suspicion and hunch when we came up with the idea that it was needed and timely and important those comments were it right like they just said everything in a heartbeat and just the uh, the notion that feminism which of course is egalitarian in nature it's about equality and nothing more really at its core at its center could somehow be you know um be politicized in a way that that could be offensive to some people was quite surprising to me I guess it was it was surprising to me but I think as well I just you know what was exciting about it is that as soon as these couple of comments reared their heads was that I mean there's 104 comments on that posted the, the time of us recording this conversation people just jumped in and said no you know it's about time that our scene had these conversations the fact that you've commented at all shows that there's a need for it it was you know it was in all in all moments it was heartening and scary that some people felt that way and exciting that other people were prepared to defend us even if they hadn't heard the podcast yeah it was you know it's brilliant and overwhelming and just you know amazing that people explained everything we could have or would have wanted to explain but probably a damn sight better than we would have done right you know I certainly had a moment where I looked at it and thought "Mm, do we you know put some way of public comment on this post actually and stand up and stake a claim for why we're trying to be agents of change and then thought actually you know what other people are doing it for us they're explaining those issues and those concepts you know and as you say I think it is some of it for me boils down to that fundamental misunderstanding about what feminism is you know and there's often debates in the sector about you know do we call it something you know do we call it equality or human rights rather than feminism because there's something about you know centering women's experiences which is challenging and centering women's experience within the word of the thing you're trying to do is challenging but also you know that just speaks to the power dynamic doesn't it it speaks to the fact that the world is you know still to this day predominantly run by men and women are are secondary and we see that up and down in terms of our scene in terms of our lineups well indeed but we want to be part of that change don't we and on uplifting women's voices and bringing um you know artists bringing artists in on a conversation that they may not typically be invited to be part of on your standard uh, radio show where they're trying to promote their music we wanted thank folk for feminism to be somewhere where people would specifically get together and we'd open the conversation 
that needs to be had in the world, in the folk sector. But it was just so heartening that people jumped to our defences, a bunch of artists as well as um, potential audience members and a lot of people who supported um, English Folk Dance and Song Society stance as well, which we really appreciated. Um, we saw that Eliza Carthy lent her voice to the, um, to the fray as well, which was just a really high compliment for us. And there was great conversation going on with people talking about how folk music in particular has always been at the forefront of speaking about and documenting changes, injustices. Um, and this is just kind of an extension of that. We hope, we think, we know. <laughs> Change comes from storytelling. And what is folk music if not storytelling? But we get to change and rewrite those stories. You know, I think that's the interesting thing is people get quite set on, you know, folk music being something particular. But actually, if we look at some of those traditional songs, they've ebbed and flowed over the years to change with the times, right? And can continue to ebb and flow and, and change with the times. I think actually this conversation has brought us so beautifully to the next segment because myself and singer-songwriter Ellie Rees have been attempting to rewrite traditional folk song, The Two Sisters. And at the end of the podcast, you'll get to hear our brand new song. Evening, Ellie. Thank you so much for joining us on Thank Folk for Feminism. Um, could you both start, I guess, by telling me a little bit about why you ended up in this collaboration? Hiya. Thanks for having me on. Um, well, it turned out quite lucky. Lucy was planning this segment for your show. And at the same time, I've been researching some old songs and trying to see how we can bring them up to date with new songs, but also learn from the old stories about women. And I was looking for song, folk songs about strong women and women overcoming things. And then Lucy was doing this part about rewriting old songs. And so, yeah, I got in touch and she just happened to say, yes, we do it. And then off we go and we've written a new song. <laughs> It's been really exciting because it felt dead serendipitous because when you emailed me, you didn't know that I had this wild vision in my mind for what <laughs> this segment would be, right? And um, I just essentially jumped on Ellie Pinky was what happened virtually. was like, please help me write this song. <laughs> and, um, and we haven't met before, but for me, certainly, it's just been an awesome experience of co-writing, not just with you, Ellie, because you're fantastic, but also with a woman writing a song about women. It's been a really cool adventure. It's been really fun. Yeah, I've really enjoyed doing it. It's been really fun working with you. And yeah, I've loved digging into the song and just talking about, you know, what the song means and getting more and more into it. It's just, they give and give and give, don't they, songs sometimes? Too right. And I definitely haven't made the suggestion anywhere that there's a full album of rewrites to come at some stage in the not too distant future. <laughs> she has. She said, if I do uh, one of these segments every um, month, then I'll have an album by the end of a year of Thank Folk for Feminism. I Fantastic. Think <laughs> no, don't back her up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Folk for Feminism, volume one. <laughs> in all good record stores 
in February 2022. It's too late. I think you've committed to that one now, Lucy. You know no what? pressure, Lucy. The more we talk about it, the more I'm into it. Let's do it. It can ride right off the back of Ellie's project that she's running with a bunch of female songwriters. We can, you know, combine forces and take over the world with these feminist rewrites. Excellent. <laughs> look forward to it already um so lucy tell me about why you picked the song because it's a song you've sung before it is it's a song i put on my first album and um we were just chatting about what song to pick and ellie was talking me through some stuff she'd been looking at and as all folk songs the the themes repeat and a song she was talking about just brought the two sisters to mind and for people that haven't heard the traditional song um, it's about two sisters, one is dark and one is fair. And that's all you get to find out about them other than the fact that they're both being courted by this rapscallion Miller's son. And instead of doing anything about it when they find out that they're being double crossed, it, instead jealousy takes over and one murders the other by pushing her into a river. Um, some versions go even further. Ellie did some research and there's uh, the Miller dies in some versions, I think. Is that right? Yeah, he dies in some and yeah, well, then she gets made into a fiddle, doesn't she? And then some of them kind of carry on and uh, she you know, plays this beautiful music and it kind of is immortalised in this wonderful fiddle. But our version, the one that we started with ended at the fiddle, didn't it? Yeah, it does. And the thing is, so she she drowns, she's drowned and her bones wash up on the side of the river and a traveling fool turns her body into a fiddle. And the only tune that this fiddle can play is a tune called Oh, the Wind and the Rain. And so there's a lot of issues kind of, it became like a, a you know, English GCSE class. We were laughing <laughs> about, we were annotating the song and picking it apart in ways you just, I just thought it was a great murder ballad, to be honest. I never engaged with the message that all you find out about the women is what they look like. Then instead of addressing the fella, they kill, one kills the other. Then this poor woman washed up on the side, gets turned into a fiddle. And so is literally robbed of her own voice, robbed of her own ability to tell her story because all she can sing now is the wind and the rain. And she's kind of glorified in this beautiful instrument, but actually all she's been done, it is literally been objectified, turned into an object <laughs> and that's the end of her life. And it just seemed like the perfect song to see if we could give the sisters a better ending, a better outcome. Yeah, it wasn't until we looked at the song that um, I realised that they were completely judging themselves by what he thought of them. So he thought he thinks one is prettier than the other or loves one more than the other. And then that causes this whole problem. And it stems from her valuing herself by this guy's opinion of her, which I'd never noticed before. And the basic jealousy of the song, it just completely resonated. I was like, no wonder people keep listening to this song because it's just... Like, who hasn't felt like that? Like, oh, that guy's looking at her, you know, or someone else is getting more attention than me. It's just like, oh, <laughs> we can, everybody can relate to that, I think. Mm. Yeah, we're so conditioned, right, to live in a world where we're taught to value ourselves or understand ourselves based on what other people, and particularly men, think or, you know, sense of us in terms of putting value on our heads. Uh, so Ellie, you and Lucy uh, co-wrote the lyrics and came together to work on the song. Could you tell me a little bit more about the process that you went through? 
um, we first, like Lucy mentioned, we went through the old song and we kind of pulled it apart. We dragged out all the different issues. And um, firstly, in relation to what Lucy was saying, we wanted to make the story be about the women and not there's two sisters. They're in the first verse and then, it, you know, she just dies and floats around and there's nothing about her anymore. So we wanted to make it about them. And then we wanted to turn it on its head, but not... Um, you know, to make them, you know, you could say, oh, they killed the guy or something, but then it kind of, you know, then they're just as bad. So we wanted to find a, a nice way of doing that. So initially we started with a kind of rejig of the story, but it's not a complete rewrite. It kind of just twists it a little bit. So in our story, um, he still loves one more than the other. And then they they trick him and he walks into the water himself and and then he floats down and he almost dies and then comes up and then meets the fiddler and hopefully kind of has a think maybe or something, but we didn't want him to actually die. And then we love the imagery of the golden swan when she's dead on the water, like a golden swan. So we had them dressing up like a golden swan and um, all the time kind of Lucy was relating it back to other folk songs where people dress up and the fools and things. So we kind of kept a lot of it true and we copied lines where we could and, yeah, that's how we, we did it. And we bashed it out. It was a brilliant evening. We just kind of suddenly had this really creative evening and it was really enjoyable too. It's the most I've laughed on a Zoom chat for a long time. It was really, really just great fun writing it. And it felt really, um, really in sync. I thought that we just, you know, we're taking, uh, running with each other's ideas and nobody had any ego about, you know, the way that it should go. And I think the song kind of appeared from within that, which was just such a nice thing to happen. And nice fight, I guess, as well, in terms of like the song is about two sisters that end up, you know, warring with each other and in in spates of jealousy. And actually you're talking about like the complete reverse process between you two. Right. You know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think that's really pertinent because that's something that, you know, women is like hard to, you know, in careers particularly, you know, there's not many spots for women. And yeah, the result of being kind of pushed down a lot of the time is that women can become even more and more competitive and I think a really great thing to do with you know trying to equal things out or liberate women from that a little bit is to is to switch that so that women are working together more and that's something that I try and do all the time with every everything that I do in my work I always try and involve women if I can and yeah that's why my project is going to involve lots of other women because it's just about bringing people together and working together to create something stronger and to create the art so that's in relation to there's not so many women on music stages and stuff. So that's why I think it's really important for women to come together and create the art as well as talking about it and raising awareness too. I think your project's going to be absolutely tremendous, not least because I want a spot on it. <laughs> but um, but I think we've just hit on something really important there because I think even within the folk scene that, as we've said, likes to describe itself as a family, the competition between female acts and artists um, for spots at gigs creates this inability almost for us to collaborate effectively often because there is only one headline spot offered to a woman. There are only a finite number of afternoon main stage spots offered to female acts. And um, it's just really nice that in the conversation there, you and Pinky really hit on that because I do think it's an important issue for us to 
perhaps you know have a longer conversation about sometime <laughs> well yeah but I think it links into that you know we often talk don't we in feminist circles about the sisterhood like but that can mean two things that can mean the coming together collaboration really brilliant aspect of what we do and what you two have created together and what this podcast is supposed to be about but you know people also understand sisters and sisterhood to be about warring and jealousy and rivalry and all of the things in the original song and all of the things that you've touched on in terms of that stage and you know that latter is still for me like so much part of the patriarchy pitching us against each other like I don't think it's a natural choice I think Mm. as you said Ellie it's that pushing down continuously that forces us into a place which is really different so thinking about all of that um what do you hope the legacy might be for this song I think we considered whether this should be funny or um you know some kind of parody really poking fun at what had existed in the tradition unquestioned for a long time and both of those approaches felt really really wrong and actually to be part from my perspective to be part of the evolution of the song because we kept so many of the traditional lines and the traditional themes within it and the imagery um uh, and all the characters remain the same they just act in a different way I feel and hope that you know in 50 years time someone could sing it and not know we wrote it you know for it to just be how that traditional song evolved in the 2000s to be something a little bit more reflective of the world we hope to live in soon yeah that would be lovely because they come together don't they that's exactly what happens at the beginning of we just switch it that's really the main change is instead of fighting each other further for the jealousy they just come together and find a solution forwards which is yeah hopefully the way that we're going in general sounds wholly excellent and i reckon we should take a listen to it right now So captivated 
listening to that i want to thank the fabulous ellie reese and james delaire for he added some beautiful viola and mixed the track for us you can find out more about ellie's music by visiting ellie now a bit of a call out to you folks please get in touch and tell us your bestest most misogynistic songs from the tradition that you'd love for me to have a crack at rewriting with a special guest very soon you can find us by searching thank folk for feminism on any platform or checking out our website, thankfolkforfeminism.co.uk. Thanks so much to Katie and to Ellie for joining us this week. Our March theme is Music is My Mother, exploring musical heritage, the passing on of our tradition, and juggling being a mum and working in music. We'll be speaking to singer-songwriter, folk musician, and all-round awesome woman, Nancy Kerr. Also, just a heads up that we've created a playlist on Spotify that you, the listeners, contributed to. So if you're keen to explore songs on the theme of activism, head over to our socials where you can find the link. It's also the place where you can make suggestions for next month's playlist on the theme of motherhood. And if you want to make sure that you don't miss bonus content in future, make sure that you sign up for our mailing list on our website. It's released on the 3rd of March. In the meantime, do let us know what you thought of today's episode over on our socials and don't forget to keep on smashing the patriarchy. Bye. 
listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. This podcast is a Betty Beetroot production. Mm-hmm.